The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. How is your work life going? Business? Home? Social? How about your health? Could you make some changes? Of course you could, but how and where to start? This is Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. In this program, we'll help you identify and make the changes in your life that need to be made, and by doing so, increase your potential for success. And now, here's your host, Hemda Mizrahi. Welcome to Turn the Page. I'm Hemda Mizrahi. The focus of today's show is something that's close to the hearts and minds of many, financial well-being. One of the first thoughts that comes to mind about this topic is that there are a lot of incredibly talented people who struggle to convert their skills into revenue-generating opportunities. Over 15 years ago, when I was pursuing my master's degree, I worked in alumni relations at a graduate school. In this role, I recall having conversations with PhD grads who were struggling with their careers and finances. I know a lot of people who are in this situation, regardless of their levels of education and skills. The second thought that comes to mind is that it's really hard to think about thriving financially when you're stressed out about survival. Having been a consultant and having partnered with consultants for many years, it's very common to go back and forth between being self-employed and working for someone else for just that reason. You want stability, you want to ensure that your basics are covered, and then your mind can be freed to think more creatively about how you can use your talents. No matter what your financial status is, today's show will have important insights about how you can make, save, and invest money. We're going to cast our net past survival to thriving financially. This is how we're going to do that. The goal of the episode is for you to learn more about how your belief systems and the way that you set goals and envision your success affect your financial well-being. So it's not just the acts of setting goals and envisioning success that impact your results. It's about using an effective methodology for goal setting and visioning. We'd like for you to take away at least one or two key strategies you'll act on to help you solve a concern you have about money. The person who's going to help us to unlock the keys in these these areas is coaching expert Janet Hussman. Not only has Janet coached thousands of people on being successful in various aspects of their lives, her own financial springboard came from a difficult experience early on in her life when she lost her father and became aware that she needed to provide for herself. The silver lining was that she developed an expertise in making, saving, and investing money that has enabled her to be self-supporting and to help others do the same. Janet, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. I'm thrilled you're here to share your expertise. Thank you so much, Hamda. I'm so happy to be here with with you and um, thank all the, everybody listening in. 
Um, I wanted to start our conversation uh, with awareness and looking more closely at your relationship with money because many people don't think deeply about it, but um, without awareness, of course, without conscious awareness, you're really not paying attention to your money. And as a result, it doesn't, it's not being managed to the most, in the most optimal way. So again, I wanted you to think more deeply about what does money mean to you? Uh, for example, as Hemda mentioned, do you think of it simply as a means of survival? Or do you think of it as a tool to enhance your quality of living and to extend good beyond yourself? So, for example, to illustrate my defining moment about money, as as Hemda also referred to, is when I was 14 years old, my father died suddenly. And given my mother was a housewife, I made a decision at the age of 14 that I was going to be financially independent and started working from then on to make money, obviously save it and invest it over the years. so in my early years, while it was a means to survival, ultimately it's now a means for me to enjoy my life and really thrive and be financially independent. So now let's look at you and your, I'm going to go back to your mental programming on money. And that means the way you think about it and also your beliefs that impact how you make, keep, and invest your money. So as you may know, your beliefs, many of your beliefs were culturally and generationally programmed into your subconscious, you know, by your parents and their parents and uh, the culture that you're within as well as your teachers. Um, And all this happened when you were a child before you fully developed your conscious mind. So that can really impact your financial situation without you even realizing and you may be sabotaging yourself based on limiting beliefs that were actually ingrained in you in childhood and again these are subconscious thoughts that are hidden to you so what I'm going to do without delving into the subconscious though is I want you to just ask yourself these questions so you could take a belief inventory about what you think about money and it goes back to your parents view of money like what was your father's view as well as what what was your mother's view. Because another element is also the dynamic that your parents had with money. For example, if they disagreed on the way that they either saved or spent money, then chances are you may, or they had any, you know, arguments, you may have had a negative impact on you or on your belief system about money. And you may be associating it with a negative emotional experience. So um, once you then determine, you know, what your belief systems are about money. You can change them. There's no reason why you need to, uh, you know, rely on or sabotage yourself and with a limiting belief system around money. Um, and we also, I've noticed during the course of my career working with many people that they set a glass ceiling on how much they think they can earn, for example. And uh, you may have the same phenomenon going on because it's very common. In, in other words, you have a sense of how much you can make or earn um, based on your history. But again, this is something you can change and um, by more proactively managing your money. So I want to give you an example of uh, a situation. Someone I coached happened to be a, an attorney who came into um, the coaching with me wanting to not only change her financial situation, and I, 
uh, but she wanted to change her work situation. And she was a uh, sole practitioner. She had her own law practice in business law. And um, she basically didn't like the way things were going. So she wasn't happy both financially with the results in her life and in her business in particular, because that was her main source of income. And she didn't even have any financial goals. So I realize we're going to be talking more about goals uh, further on in this conversation. But for now, I just wanted to uh, touch upon it because it's really critical. And in my process, my coaching process with this attorney, we needed to set her not only her uh, goals for her practice, uh, money-related financial goals for her practice. So she went about defining much more clear and precise goals um, around her practice and what she wanted to earn on a yearly basis. And by the end of the, another thing we had to change was, again, going back to her belief system around money and her glass ceiling. She She was of the belief system that she could only generate X amount for her yearly practice. And I convinced her or basically communicated that she can change that number and um, it turns out that we changed her self-image. She had a self-image around herself being an attorney, a very competent person, but at the same time she didn't have a self-image of her being a successful entrepreneur. And that happens with a lot of very specialized practitioners. For example, you know, doctors and lawyers who have their own practices, they may be brilliant at their skill set. However, they don't think of themselves as, as an entrepreneur for some reason because they're not accustomed to running businesses, which, as you all know, a lot goes into running your own business. So getting back to uh, the attorney's case or example, uh, so not only we set the goals around her business and around her financial goals in general, we looked at her self-image and we broadened it to be a successful entrepreneur and a lawyer and we got to a point where she also felt very uncomfortable about being adversarial as a litigator. And she was much more collaborative in nature. So we got to her belief system and saying her self-image basically drove the way her business was going to a large extent. And um, underlying, she was not aware of it until we talked about it. So once we cleared up her self-image um, and we basically set some precise goals for her, Lorna went about taking um, steps to action because, of course, you could do all the planning in the world and have awareness, but if you don't take action, nothing's going to happen. So she started taking very effective steps toward changing her situation. And ultimately, after only six months, she told me that she doubled her income from the previous year and that she, she took a quantum leap in her practice and that she went from basically attracting people who weren't really paying her and she had to chase down to collect the bills to attracting a much higher quality clientele because she had shifted her image and as a result she was attracting much higher quality people in general, especially her clients. So given that example, it just illustrates how important it is to be aware of your beliefs around money and also setting goals. Janet, you talked about a tendency that we may have to set a cap on our earning potential and the importance of goal setting. Yes. So I wanted to distinguish when you're setting goals, essentially you have a target in mind. Yes. What the, what the difference is between having a cap, setting a cap, and sometimes we're not aware that we're, we're doing that, between setting a cap and, and actually establishing a specific goal. Because in a sense, when you're setting a goal and you have a target, you might, you might view that as a cap. I was right. Would you speak to that? Sure. Well, in her setting her first goal, um, 
based on her history. You know, she set very, um, uh, I don't want to say humble goals, but she didn't send very, uh, she didn't set very uh, much of a stretch goal. So I brought it to her attention. I just, that again, awareness around her history and said, you know, Lorna, you may have earned X amount of um, dollars in the past, but you have much more potential we can tap into here once we change some of your limiting beliefs. So we literally shifted her belief and perspective around the goal that she believed was going to be uh, a good goal, which she considered to be a realistic goal. And I, I basically convinced her to set a stretch goal, which was well beyond her glass ceiling. So in some cases, you know, you may need someone on the outside to point out to you that you've, you've set a, a glass ceiling for yourself because you may not even realize it. You may just think, oh, I'm a, I'm a six-figure earner or whatever, whatever your salary is. You'll probably notice if you look at your salary over the last five years, for most people, it doesn't really increase very much. It just increases, if at, at best, incrementally or occasionally they may get a bonus. But it doesn't go from like you know a six-figure to a seven-figure for most people. But what they don't realize is these types of quantum leaps like my attorney had, like doubling her income, is doable. And it's actually many people do are able to accomplish that. Mm. So it sounds like the cap really comes from a, devalua- a devaluation of what a person does, a devaluation of their talents and what their talents are worth in, in the marketplace. And the goal actually comes from a reevaluation of that. Yes, absolutely. And, and essentially you're setting a higher financial bar that's more congruent with that reevaluation of what your talents and services are worth. Right. Yeah, that that actually goes back to, I'm glad you pointed that out, Hemda, because it goes back to the self-image. Because people's value, believe it or not, a lot of it stems back to their self-image from childhood. As I said, it was planted there, and it's in your subconscious, so you may not even be aware of what your image is. And if, for example, you didn't do too well in school or just an average student, you may have a self-image of yourself as just being an average performer. And think, well, I'll never go beyond just paying my bills and maybe having a little extra, but I'll never be like that millionaire, multimillionaire, because you just don't have that self-image at all. And so uh, even with with Lorna, with the attorney, basically we changed her self-image from, you know, being not only a lawyer, but she ended up expanding her practice. And as I said, by attracting more quality people, um, she was able to branch off into another area of law because she started valuing herself too. And I also helped her change her pricing structure because she had a very, she was being billing people on an hourly basis, and we changed it to uh, her itemizing what is uh, the work that she needed to accomplish for a, a given client based on their very unique and specific needs. And in doing so, she was able to charge them more by the services. Uh, and the value of those services as opposed to just an hourly rate. And it worked best, worked very well for her clients as well as for herself. So those are just some examples of how this can play out. How did she determine the value of her services? Because I'm hearing that essentially if you want to go from a place of devaluating what you offer to a place of valuating, really assigning a higher value to what you do, there needs to be an accounting system in place in which you're actually breaking down what it is that you're offering. Yes. Well, she did that, as I mentioned. She kind of like itemized like her offerings, and she took a, a closer look at 
when she's providing these types of services, for example, she branched into immigration services. She took a look at what sort of the she felt was going to be involved from her end, and she's very competent. She uh, knew that it was worth X value, but I, she gave me the number that she was going to charge, and I said, you got to boost that number significantly. So I did propose to her to, to boost that number significantly for her, her fees. For someone listening to this conversation and thinking about if you're thinking about what you're doing and how you can really reevaluate and revalue what you do, do you have any suggestions along those lines? Well, right. You need to take an inventory because it may just be a belief system. Like she had a belief system that she wasn't going to be a very good immigration lawyer because she didn't have any background in immigration. But it's not a question of having the background. It's a question of knowing where to go to get the right resources and do the right research. So she had the skills to do it. It's just that she didn't have the confidence in her abilities. And that happens to a lot of us if, we have, if we're going into a branching into a new area or even making a job shift. If we don't have the skill set, we're kind of taught by society or you know, these companies outside of us that if you don't have XYZ skills, you're not going to get hired for the job. <laughs> However, I've had a very uh, different experience myself. In fact, most of my jobs in leadership at blue chip companies um, – in financial services, I wasn't quite—I wasn't qualified for, quite honestly. I didn't even have the skill set. So it's a question of learning new skills. So for those listening in, you too can, you know, make these types of transitions. Great. We're going to briefly go to a commercial. I'm Hemda Mizrahi speaking with coaching expert Janet Hussman about three steps to financial well-being. We talked about the first step of financial well-being: self-awareness. Stay tuned to hear Janet's tips on step two, how to set goals to increase your income. We'll be back shortly. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Imagine you hired a designer to redo your kitchen. Working with an expert to meet your needs was such a high. You're enjoying the new feature so much that you're waking up early to write the book that's been in your head for five years. The raised Caesar stone countertop and cushioned back stool are your writer's desk. With this comes the realization that all of the rooms in your home need to be redone to match the level of your kitchen. This scenario demonstrates my approach to executive and lifestyle coaching. It involves understanding what compatibility means to you at different times in relationships, career, nutrition, and other quality of life areas. It's also about elevating your game personally and professionally. Given my multidisciplinary expertise, we can address a range of needs that are critical to your fulfillment and success. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, Managing Director of Life and Career Choices, a global executive coaching and concierge practice. Learn more about my services and contact me through lifeandcareerchoices.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 1-866- 
1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to Turn the Page. Welcome back to Turn the Page. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, speaking with coaching expert Janet Hussman about three steps to financial well-being. We talked about step one, which addresses how belief systems affect finances. Step two refers to goal setting. Now, Janet, I know from goal setting theory, which dates back to the 60s, that there's a relationship between motivation and commitment in goal setting, that goal setting can increase motivation and increase commitment and that having some element of challenge helps us really to continue in our pursuit of a goal. I'd love to hear more about the methodologies that you use with your clients around goal setting. Thank you so much um, for making that comment because I wanted to just uh, expand on that by saying that the good news about goal setting is that goal setting focuses your mind and it really helps you to accomplish what what it is you're setting out to do because there have been, as uh, Hemda alluded to, many studies actually done at Harvard, longitudinal studies, so they're done over, you know, 20, 20, 30 years, and they noticed that the people that graduated that didn't set any goals uh, did, did the least in terms of uh, success in their lives or accomplishments and achieving um, achievements. The people that set goals and didn't write them down, they did better than the, the group that obviously didn't set them at all. And the, the group that set them and wrote them down did the best by far in terms of accomplishments and achievements throughout their life and career and money, uh, money financial goals. So needless to say, I think we all can appreciate you know, setting goals. And to her other point about, you know, the commitment and motivational aspect, I mean, a goal, most people don't look at it this way, but a goal is to help you to grow. I mean, many people set goals like, oh, I want a new car, I want a new house. Well, that's fine. And, but in the process of going for that new house and that new car or that new uh, whatever it is, um, or using your money toward investing, whatever your goals might be, uh, realize that you're going to grow in that process. So the other, the other element that um, is important to know about goals is that it's important to set what I call stretch goals uh, or challenging, as, as Hemda put it, because if you, there are three types of goals. An A goal is a goal that you already have done. So it's not much in the way of challenge, and you're kind of bored with it, quite honestly. A B goal is a goal you think you can do, and that could be, for example, like New Year's resolutions. You make a goal, well, I'm going to get ahead in my finances. I'm going to either increase my income or whatever that goal might be. But then shortly after, because you think you can do it, but it's not like truly motivating you from deep within yourself. So you might do it for X, Y, Z amount of time, and then you drop drop off on that, or you fades into the sunset. Then the third type of goal is almost like a, uh, it's a huge stretch goal. And it's something you've never done before. So you may as well just go for it because why would you just set realistic goals? I mean, granted, in business, you have to set realistic goals because, you know, that's a structure of uh, the business you're working in. But in your personal life and as far as your finances go, your big picture, it makes sense to set stretch goals. Because why would you just set a mediocre goal for yourself? That, that doesn't make any sense. Like, you have, you're going to have a lot better 
um, probability of, of achieving it if you set a stretch goal. And even if you don't set, if you set a huge stretch goal for yourself, even if you don't make that huge stretch, uh, you'll make a substantial improvement. So getting back to how this all rela- uh, relates to your finances. So what I'm going to suggest you do is if you haven't already, you need to start not only managing your money, but setting goals around your money in terms of you know the income you want. Um, but just let me take one step further, uh, one step back for a minute and go back to the awareness piece. You need to be aware of how you're currently spending your money. And that means, you know, itemizing your expenses on a monthly basis so you know what's going out. And you do need to know what's coming in. And that just may be beyond your salary, any form of income that you're getting, whether it's passive or active income. And once you establish what's coming in and what's going out, you're in a much better position to then set goals. Because on the, on the income side of the equation, you could set a much higher income goal for yourself. And you can go beyond what you're doing. You may just have a, a nine-to-five or turn to such things as nine-to-five, but you might have a, a day job. But at the same time, you could get involved in other ways to make your money work for you instead of you working for your money, like investing. And you could start investing. I mean, I'm not a stock picker for other people. I do it for myself. Uh, but what I would say is you can start investing in equities or stock or with very little money. It doesn't mean you have to go into the market with, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, You could also um, do other forms of passive income, like start investing in real estate. But granted, you do have to learn the business and have to know your your market that you're investing in. So there's a lot of like due diligence and homework. But the point I'm making is it's important for you to stretch your mind around your goal setting around money in the form of income, both active and passive, as well as um, just allowing yourself to use your imagination and creativity with goal setting. Because let's face it, most of us have been taught to set like really rational, logical goals and realistic goals. But in reality, if you look at the hugely successful people on the planet, believe me, they did not set realistic goals for themselves. And they use their imagination, creativity and intuition, which we all have, but we all don't tap into for whatever reason. And I love the quote by Steve Jobs, which was, there's a lot of noise out in the outside world and we basically have to uh, strip away all the noise or get rid of all the noise and listen to our inner voice. And he called that your intuition. He said, because your intuition is only right 100% of the time. So I guess with goal setting, it's not as cut and dry as you may think. It's not just, okay, you know, sit down and write a number. It's more about you exploring what you really want to do both financially, you know, what some of your financial goals are and what you want to use that money toward as well. So that's some, those are some of the key things to think about when you're doing your goal setting for your money. Janet, how do you go about setting goals in such that you have this element of stretch that you're talking about? You may be going beyond what is realistic, and at the same time, a person doesn't position themselves really to be deflated mm-hmm. if they're not making the kind of progress that for them is encouraging toward the goal. Right? So we all have different personalities, and some people just are extraordinarily confident, and they can set wild goals and not feel discouraged. Right. For someone who is setting a goal and, you know, is essentially as coaches, we try to work in alignment with each person's personality and preferences and style to help to motivate them. 
Yes. And so for those who are setting goals and might feel deflated, what are some suggestions that you could offer? Well, actually, that thanks for bringing it up because that goes to a point about your goal setting. When you're setting a goal, you have to set it for something you really want deep down in your, within yourself. It's not just a superficial thing, and that will fire you up in the morning to get you going and motivated. But to Henda's point about if you set this wild, you know, as they just call them, BHAG goals, bold, hairy, audacious goals, um, then you might feel discouraged if you're not making progress quickly enough. But in reality, if you re- if you think about it, if you set a huge, uh, wild goal for yourself, and before that, you know, you were just doing, let's say, average, or you know, you're doing okay, but you're not doing fantastically. Then, if you set this huge goal and you don't get to the huge goal, but you will have made some progress, so it's better than no progress. Because if you stay with your current goals and you're not happy with the way things are going, then you, you can't. There's nothing to lose, in other words by setting a big goal, but you just have to be disciplined with yourself and saying, I'm not going to be discouraged because let's face it, you're going to have obstacles. It's just a question of, uh, you know, when you look at obstacles as problems, instead of looking at them as a problem, look at them as an opportunity to learn. Look at every problem. And the bigger the problem you have, the more, the greater the opportunity to learn is. And the more you learn, typically the better off you're going to be doing or, you know, probability is such that the better off you're going to be doing in any given area. So it seems like it's realistic to be in a situation where you're setting goals that relate to different levels of motivation in your life. In some cases, you're setting a goal around and ideally around something that in your gut you feel so strongly about, you feel passionate about, and it's connected with thinking big and living big. Yes, And in other situations, you might be in a workplace, for example, and have some performance feedback about an area that your manager or other people in the environment think would be very important for you to improve. Right. For your effectiveness on the job, for your promotion or advancement opportunities. So realistically, it seems you might have different levels of motivation related to the goal. Yes. And maybe that might affect your goal setting process, you know, because I know that I work with clients, sometimes we work with that, that middle place where they know that they can do it, right, and they need to get to a higher place, but we work with what they can do, and then we build incrementally from there. Right. Well, of course, the context has a lot to do with it, and as as, uh, Hemda pointed out, there are many different levels of goals and different types of goals, um, meaning... Even And we talked about the stretch goal versus the goal that you've already done before, but you have to work within the uh, parameters of your environment. Like if you're on your job, you're not going to come up with some crazy goal that they're going to think you, you know, <laughs> that you're not thinking uh, logically or not thinking uh, soundly. So in your goal, in your workplace, it's going to be largely shaped by you talking to your manager around, you know, the business goals for your unit or or whatever the case might be. So it's contextually shaped. However, in your own personal life, no one could tell you what your goals are. And you shouldn't let anybody discourage you from setting a goal, like you said, that you're really passionate about because you need to live, this life goes really fast, right? And it's a short life, so you may as well go for it, as they say. And, um, so you, there are no limits as to what you could do on a personal level um, in terms of setting stretch goals for yourself. And go with your passion because, like I said, that's going to fire you up in the morning to make you want to go and, and do and live more fully 
as opposed to just, you know, going to work every day and following your routine. So a lot of us, it's very easy for most of us fall into routines on a daily basis. But over time, as you know, those routines are, uh, they kind of get sort of mechanical and dry. And I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't want to live that way. I want to, you know, uh, have a much fuller experience of, of life. So um, yeah, it does depend largely. You have to use your judgment, but it's oftentimes very helpful to have someone to work with in, in terms of your goal setting because yourself, you're going to set things probably given within your past history that you feel comfortable with. And the whole point of a goal is to do something that you're not too comfortable with because you can't really grow without being uncomfortable. So I almost have to get used to being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You talked about setting stretch goals that really connect in with your passions. Yes. You talked about the importance of inventorying your progress so that even if you don't achieve the goal and the time parameters that you set out, that you're still encouraged that you did make some progress around it. Yes. And also the importance of having some partnership around goal setting. Absolutely. And and with regards to the progress, you can't, if you set a a time frame for yourself, which I advise you to do, because otherwise it's just a moving target, and you're not making the progress you expected toward your time frame. Well, you just can shift your time frame. Uh, I mean, especially in your personal life. I mean, obviously on the job, you may not be able to shift the time frame because uh, you're under different deadlines, etc. But um, in your own personal life, you can shift that time frame. Just it may happen sooner than you expect, and it may happen later than you expect. So there's no way of knowing exactly. Nobody has a crystal ball on these things. Um, but I would just say that it's okay to just the fact that you have to keep yourself, uh, like reinforce yourself and keep yourself motivated. So whatever it takes to do that, that's up to you. Because you shouldn't be depending on outside uh, the outside to motivate you. Because I believe motivation is an inner, inner work. Mm-hmm. And it seems like that really links back to really connecting with what you're excited about. Absolutely. Yeah, in a the sense, the, the motivation is inherent from that, and then it builds when you're in this goal-setting process because you're also, like you said, focusing and you're lending structure to a passion. Yes, absolutely. Great. Are there any other suggestions that you can make around the goal-setting process? Well, I would say... Probably in terms of finances, uh, it's pretty tactical. I mean, once you figure out your bigger picture um, of money and what you want is your uh, longer term goal for money, I would just say you need to set yourself up for success in that, well, everybody, first of all, has a different definition of success. So only you can know what that definition is for you. I mean, I wouldn't go by anybody else's standards as to what success is. But if you say, for example, have a passion around uh, real estate, let's just say, um, then what I would do is I would set up my financial uh, matters. Now, I'm not an independent or I'm not a registered investment advisor. If you need to go to someone for the more technical details of investments, obviously you go to people who are qualified and, and licensed and certified. But... I help you with the mindset piece of it, but also with the organ- the very practical organizational side. And what I would do, for example, is if I know I wanted to invest in real estate, I would set up my accounts in my bank or in whatever, who, whatever institution or organization you want to set up your 
accounts with, but I would set up one like long-term savings account. Well, first of all, I should mention you should set up an account to cover your necessities in life and also an emergency fund of eight months worth of money because if some unforeseen thing happens, you just want to be covered, right? So that's a basic thing that everybody should be doing just because it's good money management and it's just good uh, for your own personal peace of mind, right? So that's number one. But once you've got your necessities covered and your emergency fund, set up a long-term savings plan, uh, a savings account, uh, set up a, a long-term, I, I always set up a, what I call an investment account where I keep my investments. Um, uh, but in that investment account, that also includes, believe it or not, an investment in yourself in terms of education. Now, whether that's formal education through going back to school in an area that you want to pursue to get more um, information and more um, knowledge and skill sets in, or it could be through coaching, mentoring, any of those other forms of education. But I do believe in ongoing learning and education because you're never going to be at the top of your field unless you do that. So that's another account you should set up. And then the last account might be something um, that would be for more or less discretionary income that you could just use for entertainment, fun, you know, because you want to have some balance in your life for, you know, things that you want to do like travel, et cetera. So I just, just a basic, uh, very basic structure. I mean, you could set up accounts for whatever you want to set them up for, but it depends on your goals in any of those given areas. And, and getting back to like, let's say you have a passion and invest in real estate. Well, you have to obviously have some money to invest in the real estate process or in buying a piece of real estate. So that's where you would set up a long-term savings account and then, you know, go from there. So Janet, as we're taking in these suggestions in terms of a next step, for someone who's in a situation where they have never really invested funds before, mm-hmm. they're able to cover their basics at this point, what would be what just one next step that you would recommend that they can take to learn a little bit more or to receive some guidance around this process? Right. Well, with investing, uh, if you decide to invest in stocks or bonds or other instruments, you need to go to someone uh, either if you don't have the time to do a lot of due diligence and homework on these things, um, you need to go to someone who's who you trust and who you know and preferably who's been referred to you and start the dialogue and they could help you around you know what your a bigger picture financial objectives are, which are risk tolerances. Uh, you know they'll help you with all that and then help you to look at investing options for yourself. So potentially get a referral to an expert who might be able to help out. Exactly. Great. We're going to go to a commercial. I'm Hemda Mizrahi speaking with coaching expert Janet Hussman about three steps to financial well-being. We'll be back to talk about step three, using an effective methodology to envision your financial success. Stay with us. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Imagine you hired a designer to redo your kitchen. Working with an expert to meet your needs was such a high. You're enjoying the new feature so much that you're waking up early to write the book that's been in your head for five years. The raised Caesar stone countertop and cushioned back stool are your writer's desk. 
With this comes the realization that all of the rooms in your home need to be redone to match the level of your kitchen. This scenario demonstrates my approach to executive and lifestyle coaching. It involves understanding what compatibility means to you at different times in relationships, career, nutrition, and other quality of life areas. It's also about elevating your game personally and professionally. Given my multidisciplinary expertise, we can address a range of needs that are critical to your fulfillment and success. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, Managing Director of Life and Career Choices, a global executive coaching and concierge practice. Learn more about my services and contact me through lifeandcareerchoices.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to Turn the Page. I'm Hemda Mizrahi. We're back with Janet Hussman discussing three key steps to financial well-being. We talked about how factors like culture and the generation that you grew up in can affect your relationship with money. That's the self-awareness piece, step one. And also step two, how to set goals in order to increase your wealth. Step three is the process of envisioning your success. And Janet, I'd love to hear some tips that you might be able to offer around methodology for envisioning success. We know that that's a very key strategy in sports psychology. Yes, actually, once you've set your goals, and I like to call them inspirational goals because they're they're goals that are going to inspire you and motivate you. But once you set those, then you really need to start utilizing what I call your higher mental faculties. Because goal setting for most people is a more of an intellectual process using their logical, rational mind. And, you know, when we talked about that already, the realistic mind. You have to go beyond that. And your higher faculties are your imagination, uh, your intuition, and even shifting your perception on things. And this kind of goes back to the whole awareness piece. But um, just simply put, in, in order to then take that goal, you have to, have to use, again, your imagination is used for any type of creative endeavor. Because first of all, you create a, uh, an idea in your mind and then you, you create that idea. I mean, then you bring it into reality. So you're then using your imagination to, to manifest it in the physical world. So that's the whole creativity process. It happens in your imagination, which is considered to be a higher faculty. And unfortunately, we're discouraged at childhood, especially when you're first starting school and your teachers tell you not to daydream. That's when you're using your imagination, but they tell you to get back to, you know, whatever your homework assignment is. And we kind of put you know, squash on your imagination. But the reason I brought that up is most of us don't use our imagination to our full benefit and tap, which allows us to tap into our, not only creativity, but our potential and getting back to once you've got your goal set, you have to start imagining it. And the best way to use the mind and it's used as um, Hemda said is in sports is visualization. 
um, you start visualizing your success with money. Whatever we talked about this before, whatever success looks like for you. Now, success for you might be, you know, living in a community. Uh, it could be down south. I mean, I don't know what it what it means for you, but uh, the only reason I mention that is you need to picture in your mind what success looks like for you and actually write it down. It's much more powerful to write things down. It brings them into reality more But Write down what that looks like for you. And once you do that, um, because the mind thinks in pictures, it's going to serve pictures basically when you add emotion to pictures. And that's why it's important to get emotionally involved with your goals because then they go into your subconscious mind. And once something is in your subconscious mind, it automatically expresses through your body in the form of actions or behaviors. And those ultimately become your habits. And then over time, that those are the results that you get in life. So that process, I just wanted to, to mention, is the way the mind works. And it's important to know this for any area of your life, especially your finances. So it starts with your, you know, your conscious awareness about your goals and something that, again, you're emotionally involved with, and then that goes into your subconscious. And then those pictures are processed in your subconscious, and then you start taking action um, along those lines that are in line with your goals. And ultimately, your results are going to be toward whatever your goal is. It seems that you're describing a process, Janet, where you're really bringing in your various senses. So in addition to the experience of actually envisioning what you see as success, that when you're in that process of having a visioning exercise, that you also want to bring into it how you will feel in that moment of success. Yes. And that in of itself somehow helps you to really internalize more of that, that imprint. You're kind of shifting yourself in that direction by engaging also your emotions in the visualization. Yeah, absolutely. The emotions are critical because uh, most of our society is very, I call it left-brained, meaning it's the rational, very um, logical mind. But as Einstein said, the logic is not that inspirational, uh, ultimately, and imagination is much more powerful. Again, that creativity aspect. So in you envisioning what that success looks like, let your imagination run wild and that's part of not after you set your goal, like you painting the picture for what you want your life to look like. And it sounds like very far-fetched at first. It sounds like some sort of Hollywood movie. But believe me, this, this works. I've done it in a number of areas. And um, it's actually worked for my real estate investment and also for, believe it or not, for stock investing. And so I know the process works from personally. And it's not just me. Thousands of people. And over the you know course of history, everybody kind of has concluded or agreed including the most successful people on the planet that what you think about you become ultimately so it's more than just thinking on a superficial level it's that deeper thinking again using your emotional as well as your imagination and your intuition so combining all of that so it's almost like you're taking a much more holistic view of not only your finances and money but your life as opposed to just coming from the left side of your brain only. You talked about creating a vision of your success and writing it down. How detailed do you need to get in writing it down? Uh, Great question. The more detailed, the better. 
because again, the mind works in pictures. And if you're writing this down, you're getting really excited. It actually works better. It's like uh, if you go into a restaurant and you they ask you what you want to eat and you say food. Well, guess what? You're just going to get, you know, they, they don't know what you want, obviously. But if you say specifically, oh, I want, you know, salmon with uh, this kind of sauce and I want this, you know, carrots or whatever. I mean, the more specific you get, the more you're shaping what you're creating. So it makes sense to be as specific as possible, especially if it's what you really want. Mm-hmm. It brings to mind the words of tennis champion Roger Federer, where he's, he talks about really believing that you can win. And so it seems as though this part about believing that you can win, how do you go, how do you get there? How do you actually get from the part about believing, let's say I can say I believe I can do this, I have a sense of my capability, and how do you get to actually executing on that? So it seems that this is a strategy for from getting to that part where you say, I know that I'm really capable, I know that I'm talented, and you translate that into an, an actual opportunity that you can generate the type of tangible results that you're looking for. Yeah, it not only relates or applies to sports, but every area of life. And basically, you can believe something intellectually, like, oh, I can do that. But if you don't believe it in your subconscious, like your, which is your emotional mind, if you don't believe it emotionally on a deeper level, it's not going to happen. So that's why I was so, um, like, I emphasized having, getting emotionally involved with your goals, um, and getting emotionally involved in things in life in general. I mean, when I say emotionally involved, meaning, you know, you're passionate about it. And I don't mean you get emotionally distraught about it. I'm just saying emotionally involved in a positive way. Because obviously, if you get emotionally involved in a negative way, it's not going to serve you. But if you get emotionally involved in a positive way by think, doing things that make you happy, uh, that make you feel um, enriched or fulfilled or bring you a sense of calmness or peace or even love and caring, all those positive emotions. So again, I should clarify and say positive emotions need to back it up. So if you believe in yourself and you really, um, on a deeper emotional level, and again, a lot of this goes back to your childhood. I mean, I don't want to sound like a, uh, you know, a determinist here or, you know, everything, but if you have some limiting, uh, beliefs around when you were a child if you were told you weren't good at something like let's say you didn't do very well in math and you got like C's in math well you may not think you're going to be good with money because math uh, money involves numbers right so that's sometimes a big block um, uh, so uh, you know that's something as simple as that can can prevent somebody from doing well in their financial or money money life but again to your point, you need to actually believe it on an emotional level that you can do something, even if it seems very much beyond what you've ever done before. Because, I mean, look at the inventors in the world, like the Wright brothers, they're bicycle mechanics from the Midwest, and people thought they were literally should be institutionalized. But they believed in what they, they had a passion for it, and they believed it, and they believed they could do it, and they did it. Janet, what's the difference between fantasy, right? Mm-hmm. That's a, co- a common human experience that right. we might fantasize about something and visioning. Uh, that's, a, that's a really great question. Well, fantasy, uh, it depends on your definition of fantasy, but in our society, we're kind of taught that, oh, fantasy's for kids. 
it's like for daydreamers. I'd like kids will say, oh, I want to be, you know, this when I grow up or whatever. I want an astronaut and go to the moon or wherever. But the point is that it depends on your definition of fantasy, but visioning is is sort of, uh, I mean, there's a fine line between the two because visioning could be a fantasy. Like you could even have a set of fantasy goal for yourself. But fantasy simply means that you're using your imagination, right? I mean, again, it depends on your definition of fantasy. Mm-hmm. Visioning just employs your imagination to its fullest and um, thinking in pictures, adding the emotional component and actually even perspective, meaning open your mind up to more possibilities for yourself. So a lot of times we don't realize this, but we limit our possibilities by thinking, oh no, I can't do that because I haven't done that before or I can't do that because someone told me a long time ago, whether it was my parents or a teacher or even a, a colleague or who knows who, a boss, they told you you're not good at that, and you believe them. But the reality is you have to believe in yourself no matter what. And, I mean, I even remember reading in the newspaper as Wall Street Journal, um, you spoke about the tennis players, uh, where Serena Williams said because she's getting older now, she's depending on her inner self or her mind to help her to, you know, stay, remain a champion. Mm. So it seems as though fantasy is maybe more of an informal, casual process that's not centered in the same type of process that you described for visioning. Essentially, we're ta- when we talk about visioning, we're connecting that to a, an entire process that you're going through, whereby it's really founded in something that motivates you, something that you're good at, something that you're passionate about. You take that and you build goals around it, and you take a look at what are the things that might be interfering in your success. You're doing a, a whole inventory, essentially. You're building those goals, and then you're connecting the vision also with that whole process. So it really is based on something that's very real for you. It's not something that uh, is... But it feels real for you, mm-hmm. even though it may not be real. You may not have done it before in your, in your quote, reality, whatever that was. But that's a great summary of visioning. Um, and then you mentioned that you have to look at, take an inventory of your beliefs, but it may be a blind spot to you. And that's why you're not able to change your results. Or that's why you have the results you have now, because it's been a blind spot. And typically the blind spots are these blocks in our subconscious that we're not even aware of, or they're limiting beliefs in our subconscious. And that's why they're hidden from our view. And that's why they're blocking us. And that's why we refer to them as blind spots. So coming back to that in a more practical level as we're nearing the end of our conversation today. Is there one tip that you can give? Because it seems like this, the self-awareness piece is really critical, that you, you have all of these pieces in place. You, you know, you're, you recognize the areas that you're talented in. You have a sense that you're very capable. What's a step that you could take to help with working through those areas that you're not realizing are affecting you? Well, I would say that you need another uh, maybe source to bounce it off of whether it's a mentor or coach only because like I said they're blind spots and it is a process from the beginning with you doing your belief and awareness inventory um, and then you know taking it forward to goal setting and we talked about um, the whole methodology that you'd use for envisioning your success but I, I believe that to have someone that can hold you accountable and also help you identify your blind spots is probably my biggest tip. Excellent. 
If you'd like to learn more about Janet's coaching work, Janet, thank you so much for these wonderful suggestions. And if you'd like to explore using her services to improve your financial well-being, please contact her at JanetHussman at Yahoo.com. That's J-A-N-E-T-H-U-S-S-M-A-N at Yahoo.com or at 212-787-3379, 212-787-3379. And speaking about thriving financially, during next week's show, we're going to talk about lessons from the field of positive psychology, which is the science of flourishing. Our guest will be Janet Chamino, a therapist who integrates positive psychology both in her private practice and in organizations. Listen in to learn what the research says about factors that affect our overall well-being and life satisfaction. I'm Hemda Mizrahi for Turn the Page. Remember to make the grass greener where you are. Talk to you next week. Thank you for tuning in to our program. Turn the Page can be heard live every Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week's show, enjoy your weekend and make one change in your life before then.